This program is a proud member of Univaz. Unified, unique, voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! Screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets gay. This is episode 211, and tonight we are kicking off a non-denominational holiday celebration with a bit of snowbound wintry horror. We're talking about the 1974 Grindhouse Classic Devil Times 5. And it's going to be more fun than a piranha in your hooch. Well, wait a minute. That's not really that fun at all, now, is it? Well, I don't know. Whatever floats your boat, okay? Whatever. I don't judge you, except that I do. Anyway, please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Patrick Walsh, and for the next eh, hour and a half or so, I'm going to be your guide through the weird and wonderful world of horror movies, just as I am twice a month, every month. But the thing is, you're going to have to see them as I see them through my very, very gay little eyes. So, what has been going on in Scream Queen's headquarters since last we chatted? It feels like it's been a really, really long time. But we got to get things out of the way. First things first. Dum dum smoochy watch. Yell at the da da. What's going on with that cat? Well, Miss Thing has been having some Issues. As you all know, Smoochie is my very large cat. She's a rescue, and she came in with tons of health problems and behavioral problems. And for a long time, she was an absolute terror at night. She has been slipping back into that behavior where after about 10 o'clock, she will stand outside the bedroom door and meow and meow and meow and meow, demanding food like a crazy person. It's not as bad as it was, but we've upped her... Prozac dose. She was on it every other day. Now she's on it every day. And we're going to see how that goes. Aside from that, she's sitting right here on the chaise lounge like the queen that she is. And she is ready to get this party started. Get this party started. So that's what we're going to do. So I hope everybody, well, all of you in America, had a fantastic Thanksgiving season. And, you know, if you're in Canada, I hope you're... uh, Canada? Canada, sure, Canada. If you're in Canada, I hope your Thanksgiving was great, too. In the rest of the world, I hope your last Thursday of November was fucking groovy. But I got to tell you about mine. Now, as you know, spending it with my family is not a so good. Not a so good politically, not a so good spiritually, and just, you know, not a so fun. Except for my super cool niece. Who we're going to come back to. I was supposed to spend it at a friend's house. Well, a work 
friend, someone that I've done shows with. You know, the week before, they said, oh, man, if anybody doesn't have any plans for Thanksgiving, you can totally spend it in my apartment with me and my boyfriend. I'm kicking my first Thanksgiving dinner. I want to share with everybody who's going to be alone because nobody should be alone on Thanksgiving. And I said, I would rather do that than go spend it on Long Island with my creepy, super psycho, uber-Catholic sister and her you know, ultra-conservative family. So I said yes. And then the day before, I was like, they, I got a phone call like, oh my God, Patrick, I'm so sorry, but you know, my boyfriend and I decided that even though we invited six people to dinner for Thanksgiving and it's the day before that, we decided that it's going to be romantic instead we're just going to be the two of us and it's the way our first Thanksgiving should, together should be. Oh, you flighty homosexuals. Come on. Really? You're going to renege an invitation on a holiday dinner the day before for people who have nowhere else to go? <sighs> I hope you choked on your three beans casserole, queen. My, and I know you. I've known you for years. I know this is going to burn hot for six weeks, and then you're never going to speak to him again because this is your pattern, girl. But whatever. I kind of knew that wasn't going to happen, so I said, all right, all right. I guess I'll have to go out to Long Island and spend it in Homophobia Central, which I did. And you know what? I'm glad I did because shit went down. Now, as some of you know who've been listening for a long time, my nephew is second in command to Jeff Sessions. Yeah, yeah, the little, the little, you know, evil munchkin elf who is determined to, you know, bring back all these anti-LGBT laws and help make, you know, homophobia cool again. So that's always awkward and always super fun. But, you know, they, 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 they've got a couple of kids. They live in D.C., obviously, so I don't get to see them very often. And, you know, their eldest son is about three now. And I got into that house, and this child was running around in a sparkly purple wig, wearing big pink and purple butterfly wings, flapping, flapping, flapping all around the house and he read up to me and said hi Uncle Patrick and threw paper tulips on me and he refused to take those butterfly wings off or that purple wig for the entire time that I was there now I am not saying that the child is gay but it gives me extreme pleasure to know that you would be embarrassed to bring your kid to a function at work because then I'll be pointing fingers and whispering and ha 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 and that's pretty much the only thing really great that happened there because I made it a hit and run I showed up I ate I left so I said I don't need any of your people's poison and besides I got this really really gay acting child in purple butterfly wigs and I said you know what right on kid if you want to wear a purple sparkly wig you just do that you be the purpliest sparkliest butterfly you want to be and that advice goes for all of you so that was my holiday oh actually I mentioned my cool niece and I do want to bring this up because even though I did not get to see her 
over Thanksgiving. I did get to see her just before Halloween. This is kind of old news. I forgot to mention it during the marathon because, hello, there was a million other things going on. But, you know, I, I was out and I saw her and she's just like, oh, hey, we were going through some of mom's old stuff. Now, of course, her mom is my sister, Teresa, who passed away several years ago from cancer. And she said, yeah, I, I found all this stuff and I found this and I thought you'd want to have it. And she pulled out this box and my jaw dropped on the floor because when I was a kid, I was maybe eight, maybe nine, my sister Teresa and I did a project together. We made this elaborate ceramic haunted house you know with the scary tree and an owl and tombstones and a ghost and pumpkins and a big witch and all I remember is that it took forever we must have worked on this thing together every day for what felt like six months and I thought that had been lost forever but she said, yeah, I found it, and I thought it was kind of cool, and I was going to give it to Goodwill. And just as I was packing and wrapping it to pack it up, I flipped it over, and I saw that your name was carved in the bottom along with Mom's. And I figured, of all things, this is something you would want to have of hers, and I am thrilled to have this back in my life. It's sitting on my brand new coffee table! And it will be there year-round because, let's face it, this house is spooky year-round. It's always Halloween here. So what better way to keep that in mind than with this thing that I, I made with my sister and that I thought was gone forever. And now it's back. And I'll be posting pictures of that on the Instagram and on the Facebook page. So go check that out. It, I'm, I'm very happy about it. So yay. Thank you, cool niece. At least there's one of them in my family. At least I have one cool person in my immediate family what else has been going on the thing is after the holiday i got sick as you know i was sick for the dark secret of harvest home episode and thank you to toppy smelly again for sticking everything out and thank you dear listener for putting up with all the weirdness that went on last month and now we're going to get back to our regularly you know the, the, the weirdness you anticipate rather than that other kind of weirdness um. So Bradford and I got to go to the theater. So I know all you people are like, oh God, more Broadway stories. It's a quick one. It's a quick one. We got to see the play that goes wrong, which is a really fantastic comedy. And it's exactly what it says it is. It's about a terrible theater troupe doing this dusty, old, horribly written murder mystery. And absolutely everything that goes wrong can go wrong. You know, costumes are failing. People are forgetting their lines. Props are breaking. The scenery is falling apart like there's a goddamn earthquake. And it was just delightfully funny. And, of course, what's the story about going to the theater with Mr. Brad? They're telling an embarrassing story about him. Like I said, this show is uproariously funny. Like, your sides will hurt. Like, I was getting, like, my stomach was hurting from laughing so hard. And intermission rolls around. And this guy from down the row from us, he points at me and he goes, Hey, 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 I just want to tell you, you've got the best laugh in the theater. You've got everybody else laughing. It's so infectious. And here's the thing. I wasn't laughing that hard. Like, it was funny, but, you know, I, I, you know, I'm a jaded old bitch, so I'm chuckling. Ha 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 ha. Ha 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 ha. Like that. So I knew he wasn't talking to me. 
I knew he was talking to Bradford. So I poked Bradford. I said, Bradford, this guy's talking to you. And, you know, he said, Bradford, he said the same thing to Bradford. He's like, your laugh is just magical. I am laughing at the show and I'm laughing. Your, your laugh, I could listen to your laugh all day. And, of course, Bradford turned into some weird kind of, he's just like, oh, my, oh, that's so nice of you. <laughs> and then he spent all of Act 2 laughing like that. And I said, you know, afterwards, I was like, Bradford, you know that that's not how you were laughing in Act 1. You were laughing like a dirty old whore in Act 1. Because <laughs> that's the Bradford laugh that always cracks me up, you know, when he's laughing so hard that, you know, he can't breathe. And that's, you know, it's always fun when Bradford's life is in danger. But, you know, that's, but it was just really funny to see him turn into like, oh, I'm on Downton Abbey and I'm laughing. Oh, 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 they all think I've got the prettiest laugh in all of New York. I'm a pretty girl, mama. Shut up, Bradford. Just shut up, girl. And the cool thing was that... We got there, and the show starts, and the, the guy who's playing the director in the play, the play, the director of the play within the play, is doing his little introductory monologue. And I said, ooh, he's cute. Oh, wait, I know him. <gasps> oh, that's Mark. Hey, remember in August when I did that show at Below 54, you know, that show that was written by former guest of the show, Dana P. Rowe, you know, author of Zombie Prom. Yeah, remember him? Remember I did that show of his, that other show of his called The Fix? Yeah, the guy that played the lead in that is now playing the lead on Broadway in The Thing That Goes Wrong. If you're in the New York area and you hate theater, this is a great show to go to. And plus, because you will laugh your ass off. You will laugh your ass off. You will have to go to the Lost and Found at the theater and try to find your ass in a, in a giant pile of everybody else's asses. So I hope your ass has a distinguishing birthmark or something so you can find it really easily because you also probably don't know what your own ass looks like very well. And if you do, well, good for you, you flexible bastard. What am I talking about? I don't know. And plus, you can get super cheap. I was in the 10th row orchestra center. For thirty bucks, which is unheard of on Broadway, so go, you know, go, 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 and if you yeah, just go, 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 I know lots of people are here for the holidays, and you're like, I want to go see waitress, I want to go see dear Ben Hansen, I want to go see, yeah, those things are great, but you know what, you're not getting tickets, so go see this, go see this. Okay, that's enough of that. Last night, what a treat! Not only. Did I get to hang out with Vanessa McGannery, you know, a former guest of the show on last year's Halloween show and host of the VD Clinic podcast. And of course, dear wonderful personal friends of mine, I also got to meet and hang out with everybody's second favorite Scotsman. Duncan McLeish. Yes, Duncan from the podcast Under the Stairs, which is a fantastic horror podcast if you don't know what it is. It's him and his co-host Baz. They're extremely funny. They've got their own unique chemistry and they have they hit the scene relatively recently within the last couple of years and they've just been burning up the charts and they deserve it. So it was super cool to get to meet him and his wife, wife Corinne and his little teeny tiny munchkin daughter Winter. And I said, what am I going to do with this cool family? I said, Vanessa, are we taking them to dinner? And she said, yes, we've got to go someplace that we can go in with a three-year-old. And I said, why don't we take them to my old haunting ground, the Jekyll and Hyde pub? 
Yeah, yeah, I know. I used to work at the Jekyll and Hyde Club, but that's out of business. But the pub is still there, and it was actually a great time. It was wonderful meeting them. It was wonderful hanging out with them. Uh, Winter is a treat of a kid, and the staff of the pub was on point that night. So great times were had by all, and it was a really lucky thing because we decided to meet Duncan, I realized later, on the most terrifying night. of the year in New York City. The night that New Yorkers will not leave their apartments. And, you know, New Yorkers are never stopped by anything. You know, blackout, we're out there. Subway strike, we're out there. Snowstorm, we're out there. Ice storm, we're out there. We don't care. We got things to do. We got places to go. And there's really only one night of the year that everybody just stays the fuck home and that is the horrible night of SantaCon. Well, what SantaCon? Doesn't that sound nice and obnoxious? Yeah, I, doesn't that sound nice and wholesome and fun? Yeah, it sounds that way. It's not. It's every dude bro douchebag and... Their girlfriends, they come busting in from I don't know where because they never are New Yorkers because we all know better. They're coming in from New Jersey and I'm from Long Island and they dress as Santa or Sexy Santa or Sexy Elf or Sexy Snowflake or, or, or when I say sexy, I mean slutty. And it's an all-day drink fest. It's like a giant pub crawl around the East Village and the West Village and it's awful. There are just drunk marauding people everywhere in the street. Seas of vomit everywhere. Nobody's wearing clothes. I mean, okay, the best way to picture SantaCon is picture as if you were a kid and you're at you know, the mall and you're going up to see the, the mall Santa and you got into Santa's lap and he asked you what you want for Christmas and you told him you wanted that bicycle or that doll or whatever and he said, ho, 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 Barf directly in your mouth and grab your crotch. That's SantaCon. But times 5,000 of those. Vanessa and I, we saw so many girls walking around with no pants on. I'm like, what are you? It, it, is, it, is, it is 25 degrees. It is snowing. It is wet. And you are not wearing pants. And girl, you're going to get chapped lips and not on your face. Hey. Hey. And I just want to give a quick shout-out. And the person I want to shout my shout-out to is listener Zach Lorkowitz. Hey, Zach. Hey! Now, Zach sent me a link a long time ago about a short film that he was working on. And that message got lost in the shuffle over time. And he finally sent me another link that said, Hey, my film's done. Do you want to check it out? And yes, I did. And I did. And I want you to check it out too. Because I am quite pleased with it. The easiest way to find it is to go to YouTube and do a search on The Ball Count the Clock. The movie's called The Ball. It's on a page called Count the Clock. And if you just do a search on The Ball, well, who knows what you're going to get, you know? Hmm. 
just one ball. Sad. No, no. But no, it's it's a nice little like I guess seven minute or so movie, and you know, there's nothing I love more than evil prom bitches fighting. And if you could take that to another time period, take it back in time to like fairy tale ball kind of situation, I'm super happy. If you're giving me a Disney princess who's also a monstrous bitch and possibly a monster, I am dead. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. I'm so excited. I'm burping on myself. So, Zach, well done, sir. And for making a cool short movie and for reaching out to me and for being patient with me for getting back to you about it. Get ready for it. You are the Scream Queen of the Week! Yay! Oh my gosh, that pearly bitch in the video, she's got nothing on you because she she might be going to the ball, but she don't got a tiara, does she? Oh wait, neither do you. No tiara for you, Zach. Just the glory and the title. But another tiara for me. Ooh, I got a tall stack on my head. Yowls. Yowls. I'll also be including a link to Zach's movie in the show notes for this podcast episode and also on the Facebook feed so none of you have any excuse not to go watch it, okay? But you can watch it later because right now we got some grindhouse podcasting to do. Mm-hmm. And since I can't think of anything else that is remotely entertaining to tell you, I think it is time for us to just start this show. Am I right? Of course I'm right. So let's do this. Okay, okay, okay. Let's all just take a moment to bundle up, put on our snowshoes, and get ready for Devil. Times five. To kick off the holiday sleaze fest, Sleezin's Greetings 2017 is a movie from 1974 and it is 100% pure grindhouse nonsense called, I shouldn't say nonsense, it's insanity. That's not the name of the movie. It's not called, it's not nonsense, it's insanity. That would be a terrible name for a movie. No, the movie is called Devil Times Five and it's also known as The Horrible House on the Hill or... People Toys, or in the UK, Tantrums. Now, I saw this movie way back in the 80s, I guess when I was in high school, and I think it was on USA. It wasn't on USA up all night. I remember it was on during the day, and I kind of watched it with my jaw on the floor going, this movie is absolutely terrible. But then something about the end of it, chilled me enough that I filed it away forever in my memory banks, and I haven't seen it since, and I figured, hey, it's the holiday season, right? We could do a Christmas horror movie, but everybody's doing them now, and I know eventually I'm going to have to start doing Christmas movies at Christmas time and stuff, but I just don't want to. Maybe I'll do them in the summer. Maybe I'll do Christmas in July, but But I said, okay, Let's see if maybe I can find a Christmas horror movie that everyone is not doing to death. And I was looking, and I was looking, and I was looking, and instead I stumbled across this. This popped up for some reason, even though it has nothing to do with the holiday. I said, yes, this will be perfect, because we'll keep it 
a non-secular holiday season and just make it about winter because this is snowbound horror. Yeah, these this group of absolutely loathable people are trapped at their mountain lodge by a small army of murderous, psychopathic children. And really, what's more Christmassy than that, right? Why don't we take a listen to the trailer right now? Kick off some 70s grindhouse sleaze with a 70s grindhouse sleazy trailer. Getting sleazy. Sleazy on Scream Queens. Yeah. I'll stop wicka-wacking now and just play the trailer. Okay, okay. God, what's wrong with me? Don't answer that. Okay, I have now tried seven count them seven times to get the audio for this goddamn trailer and it's just not going to happen. So let's all just pretend we heard a really cool scary trailer or I could just do some more Wicca Wicca. No more trailer. We got no trailer. No trailer for you. Okay, so Devil Times 5, as I said, is the story of this group of horrible people who have all assembled at this mountain lodge for no fun whatsoever. Yeah, it's owned by this guy named Papa Doc. He's like the patriarch of not only his family, but you know the fucking world, according to him. He's one of these guys, these business tycoons, who can't not take a break. You know, it's just like, take a break, Papa Doc. You know, go smoke a doobie, have some whiskey, jerk off something. No, this guy is always business, 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 and this character is always angry. You ready to go to work? Well, sure, I'm ready to go to work. Papa Doc, you got a job? You think I'd be where I am if I hadn't kept pushing? That right, Harv? Right, Papa Doc. I was 14 when I first slapped the mop down Copperhaven's cruddy halls. And by the time I was 30, I owned it. And 26 more like it. And I didn't, didn't even finish high, high school. school. But uh, if you don't like the noise, stay out of the plant. You're too much invested, darling. All right, let's get to work. Huh? I said, but out. As a result, this guy comes off as this kind of half hot, half ugly, but the ugly makes some more hot kind of grumpy bear, which I was like fighting this weird attraction to the whole time, but that's neither here nor there. Come, grumpy daddy, grumpy ass bear man. But anyway, he's Papa Doc. And he owns a whole slew of hospitals and medical facilities and senior f- homes all around the country. And that is how he's made his fortune. And he doesn't let anybody forget it for a second. So he's gotten this whole group of people up there at his scenic mountain lodge in the middle of a national park for a vacation? (laughs) Dream again. He wants everybody to work, bitch. And not in a fun, sexy way. I mean, like, actual work. What? What? Even though nobody seems to do any the whole time they're there. But that's not the point right now because we have to apply grindhouse logic to this movie. If you take it at face value, you will drive yourself crazy. But anyway, he's up there with his wife who is a completely detestable person on every possible level. And, of course, naturally, her name is Lovely. Yeah, if you're going to name somebody Lovely in your movie, you better make sure that she is the worst fucking person on the face of the planet so that you succeeded, Devil Times 5. Well done. Well done. Also among the group is his daughter, Julian. She's all blonde and perfect and perky and has this weird Kristen Chenoweth thing going on, which I was not opposed to. 
and she is accompanied by her boyfriend, not quite fiancé, but maybe someday, Rick, who is also kind of hot and kind of not at the same time. But, you know, it's not a pleasure trip for him because he's one of the slaves of Papa Doc. I mean, employees of Papa Doc. Honey, let's get one thing straight right now. The only reason I'm going up there is to be with you. Not for business. So why don't you just get off my back? Also included is another sycophantic employee, the inimitable Mr. Harvey Beckman, who is played by Sorrel Burke. And if you don't know who Sorrel Burke, you clearly did not grow up in the 70s because he is, I almost said Papa Jupe. That's not right. Who am I thinking of? Boss Hogg, Boss Hogg, Boss Hogg from the Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, and, and, and he's there with his wife, his wife, Ruth. And this is great because this is from this era of filmmaking where alcoholism is hilarious. Okay, we'll have the fun and let Papa Doc and Harvey take care of business. Jesus Christ, a weekend with Harvey. No, Harvey's all right. His old ladies. We'll just give her a bottle of scotch with a nipple on it, and that should keep her happy for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Because the only thing about Ruth, the only character trait that she has is that she never wants to have sex and she's drunk. Drunk, drunk, drunk. She's a huge alcoholic. Oh my god, it's so funny. <laughs> she's destroying her liver. <laughs> she's got to die of cirrhosis someday. <laughs> she's scoring the lives of everybody around her with her addiction problem. <laughs> oh my side. Oh my side. But the thing is, I didn't realize this till halfway through the movie, and all of a sudden I got really gay, and I was jumping up and down and jumping up and down on the table for a while because I realized, oh my god, that actress is Shelley Morrison. <laughs> now some of you are like, who? Who? Okay, Queens, let me break this down for you. Shelley Morrison is Rosario from Will and Grace. What? Oh my god. And I'm guessing she must have been one of these women who looked like they were 40 even when they were 20. Either that or she's like 95 right now. I don't know because she is playing a very mature woman in this, married to a very much older man, and she looks it. You know, I don't mean that. Well, you know, whatever. Whatever. Alcoholism takes a toll on your looks too. Whatever. And rounding out this unhappy crew is Ralph, the caretaker. And that's the other fun thing about this era of filmmaking is because not only is alcoholism the funniest thing, well, it's almost the funniest thing in the whole world. The only thing that's funnier than someone killing themselves with alcohol poisoning is someone who is mentally handicapped. <laughs> He's slow in the head. <laughs> oh, girl. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, 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 no. And you can get all offended by these things, but you also have to say, this is Grindhouse. It's supposed to be sleazy. It should have all these horrible things in here, and it does, and it does them horribly. And that, okay, hats off to you. I mean, oh, my gosh, okay. So what's the big deal with these people? Well, nothing, nothing. They're going to just kill themselves with hate and, and being miserable in this house, even if nothing else had happened. But unfortunately, something else has happened because somewhere else... Miles and miles away, somewhere else in the forest, somewhere on another icy, deserted road. There's been a horrible, horrible accident. Yeah. Yeah. A school bus has gone off the road and flipped over. Yeah. Yeah. And there were no survivors. It's tragic. Tragic. 
Oh, but wait. Huh. I'm sorry. No, there were survivors. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Five of the children, the sweet, innocent children that were aboard this bus have survived miraculously. Oh, thank Jesus. And these brave little troopers, well, they bundled themselves up against the cold and they marched for miles and miles and miles in the, through the woods trying to find help. Why they didn't just go back to the road, I don't know. But they don't. They go through the woods, but that's what their kids, what do you expect? They don't know any better. Until, oh, thank the Lord, they come across Papa Doc's super isolated snow crippled mountain lodge. Oh, thank God. God, they're saved and everything's going to be all right for everybody, except it's not. Because it turns out these kids and apparently everybody else that was on this bus were being chauffeured from one mental facility to another mental facility. And all five of them are stark, staring, mad. And they will kill you! Hence... Devil times five, because you not only get one evil kid, you get five of them. Five for the price of one. Such a bargain. Aye, it's a mitzvah. Among the five psychopathic children, the actor of note would be former teen idol and current train wreck, Mr. Leif Garrett. Now, some of you might know Leif Garrett from his exemplary work and the 1988 piece of weirdness cheerleader camp. But no, 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 no. Way back in the 70s, he was a tiger beat pinup hottie, hottie, hottie. And this was even before that because he's maybe about 10, 11, 12 here. So this is before he exploded as, you know, the prepubescent boy you wanted to bonk if you were a prepubescent girl or, or never. But you never, you know, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. And I never got it. Even back in the day, I'm like, Leif Garrett. Ew. Ew. And now that he's grown up, I'm even more like, ew. Ew, because he kind of grew up into Johnny Fairplay. And ew. Oh, no. Oh, no. But here he is, young, before, before, you know, Tiger Beat got their hooks in him, before he got hooked on drugs, before his career crashed, and, you know, and, you know just everything, everything ahead of him. And he's wearing a fabulous velvet tuxedo suit, most of the movie. And right on Lathe. Right on Lathe. And as one of you pointed out in the Facebook page, my God, a movie that pairs Leif Garrett and Boss Hogg in the same movie? Box office gold. And I said, yeah, and you didn't even know that Rosario was in it. Ay caramba. So I settled down to watch the movie on YouTube, which you can do as well. And hopefully you have right now, so I won't be spoiling too much. And the movie starts and uh, right off the bat, I've kept my nerve, my teeth are on edge because there's this theme. It's the kid's theme. And I immediately remembered, oh god, they play this a lot and it gets really annoying really fast. But fortunately, things switch up because we go over to Julie and Rick, right? And Julie and Rick, they're, you know, they're on the road up to the lodge. So we get 1970s traveling slash credit music. Oh, is this delicious or what? Is this delicious or what? And I caught at a certain point 
that the name of the executive producer of this movie is Jordan M. Wank. Mmm, Wank. W-A-N-K, Wank. I said, oh no. Oh no, your executive producer is a Wank? Oh no. Well, at least he's not the assistant producer because they have if they abbreviated that, then it would be Jordan Wank Asprod. Because I'm 12. But then it got worse because the next credit was that the executive in charge of production is Sandra Lee Blowitz. B-L-O-W-I-T-S. Come on, we can blow it some wank together again. Wank and blow it. That's what I did on Saturday, as a matter of fact. No, did, did, did I reveal too much about my personal life? What, on this show? No, never. Never. <laughs> oh, golly. So before I go too much further, I'm always fascinated by looking at what society was afraid of based on the horror movies that they were watching at this at the time. And you know, like in the in the late fifties, early sixties, everybody was afraid of the bombs. So everything was about, you know, mutated giant insects and animals and stuff like that. And in the eighties, you know, in in the wake of all the serial killers from the late seventies, you know, um Son of Sam, Richard Speck, Hillside Strangler Reaction to that, we had slasher movies where everybody was really afraid of some stranger just showing up and killing everyone around you for absolutely no reason. Then in the 90s, everything was about home invasion or even worse, home betrayal where you let somebody in your house like a nanny or a maid or like an exchange student. It turned out that they were not only dangerous and murderous, but they take over your house and your life because, you know, 90s, that was the era of me, 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 money, 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 right? So I realized, my God, there are an awful lot of scary kids in movies of the 1970s, particularly the early 1970s. I mean, you get um, The Exorcist, of course, and, and The Omen and this, and there's a whole slew of them. And I said, why were we so afraid of kids at this point? And I went, ah, okay, there was that whole cultural revolution in the 60s, in the late 60s. You know, you had Vietnam and the rise of the hippie mu- movement and flower power. And all of a sudden, like, your kids were unrecognizable. I mean, if you go back through time, you know, yeah, clothing styles and music changed from generation to generation. But this one was so radical. I mean, my son looks like a girl now. Look at that hair and look at what they're wearing. I don't understand anything. And they're having sex in the mud at a concert and they're doing psychotropic drugs that we don't understand. We're afraid of our kids now. Ah, so this is a reflection of that. Okay, that was my sociology lesson for the day. Let's get back to the sleaze. Our main focus in the movie is not Papa Doc, though. It's Julie and her boyfriend, Rick. And as I mentioned, Rick is kind of hot and kind of not. At the same time, perfectly respectable 70s bohunk with a fabulous 70s mustache. But the thing that makes him not hot is that, okay, he's losing his hair. That's fine. I have no problem with that. Duh, obviously. Look at yourself in the mirror, Patrick. No, shut up. That's not the problem. The problem is the hair on the sides, you know, on his temples and around his ears is all brushed forward. It's really weird. 
You know, if it was just cut, you know, short or brushed back, it would be fine. But it's brushed forward and poofy, and it's just weird. I'm like, what are you doing, Rick? And he spends a lot of time with his clothes off, and you get a little bit of side pain. So rock on, 70s. Rock on, Grindhouse. Not just showing the tinnies, which you get plenty of, but you also get some side pain. So they're mainly the focus, and they're, you know, just banal. And, you know, he's up there to work, but he doesn't want to. He just wants to hang out with her. And, you know, it's thanks to them that we get a fabulous sledding montage. I'm sorry inner tubing montage and and you get some really boring sex with them as well you know it's that fun kind of 70s sex where people just kind of lay around naked and, and like pose while the 70s music is it's just wonderful it's wonderful wonderful weird Say. I don't know how any of us were conceived, but anyway. Yeah, their stuff is boring and they're kind of banal and stuff, but I don't care because next to them you have lovely. They are not in this house for more than five minutes. They're literally just got there and lovely is trying to screw the mentally handicapped caretaker in a very long, very uncomfortable scene. I don't yell at you. Do you like me, Ralph? Uh, you're, you're a nice lady. Ralph, put that down and come here. Come here. Brush my hair. Do you like that? <laughs> you, you got hair like my rabbit. <laughs> Fine. Give me the brush, Ralph. Come on. Oh, no, come here. Rub my feet. Shoes off. Ralph, you're very strong, aren't you? Uh, I'm very strong. I, I chopped all the wood for Papa Duck and I put it all the way up Ralph. there. Show me. Pick me up. Uh, I don't want to hurt you. You won't hurt me. Pick me up. Come on. Oh, yes, you are strong. Now put me down. Put me down on the bed, Ralph. On the bed? On the bed, Ralph. <laughs> Ralph, have you ever had a woman? Well, I, I had a mother and two sisters, but they got squished no. in a bus. Take your shirt off. Take your shirt off. Pull your pants down. Come on, pull down your pants. Now what would you like to do? to feed my rabbits? You'd like to feed your rabbits? <laughs> but two great things come out of this incredibly sleazy scene. In a rare moment of clarity, Ralph, who is normally talking about his goddamn rabbits, because God forbid you have a mentally handicapped caretaker guy character who's not obsessed with rabbits okay we've all read of mice and men we all want to pet the rabbits george and the fact that the rabbit's name is george come on we get it we get it we get it we get it okay but that's not the point in a moment where he's not being absolutely embarrassing with his betrayal of a mentally challenged person he has this moment of clarity yeah you know pe people are scary they're they're not like us they, they play scary games. They take off your clothes and 
put down your pants and sit down on the bed. <laughs> Crazy games. That appeased me. That I said, ah, that's the lesson of this movie. Yes. Okay, that was a piece of wisdom. I enjoyed that. But the thing is, as a result of Lovely's attempt to seduce him, well, Julie hears all the ruckus and she comes in and she breaks it up, which leads to a fucking pajama-clad cat fight no less than 11 minutes into the movie. Now, what the hell's going on in here? Okay, um, having fun. <laughs> You don't care what you do or who you do it to or what place or what time, do you? There's really very little difference between you and I. I'm doing my thing and you're doing yours. I love Rick and then we're probably going to be married. Oh, that's nice. You mean you bawled him and you still want to marry him? What do you mean? I mean that I've had him before you. And I can have him any time I want. You bitch. This movie's barely started. We get two bitches slapping the shit out of each other on a shag carpet. Yes! Yes! Thank you, Grindhouse! Yes! Yes! Okay, it is now many, many hours later in real time here at Scream Queen's headquarters, and I just would like to point out that this is now the fourth time I have tried to record this segment, but something keeps happening with the crappy laptop, the screen freezes, and I lose everything that I've recorded. But I've been informed, because I went to a birthday party for a friend of mine in between all this, and now I've had cocktails. You know, I went to a birthday party, and I was informed that Mercury, uh, or rather, somebody told me that, oh, that makes sense because Mercury is in Gatorade. And that's exactly what they said, and it took me a while, I'm like, that's not right. Mercury is supposed to be in Metrograde, but if Mercury was in Gatorade, that would be, because warm Gatorade is gross. Womp, Gatorade, womp. Gatorade. Okay, Patrick is a little loopy right now. And, you know, we're going to press on because sometimes the best thing for me to get through these difficult segments, especially the ones that are hard to record, is to have a cocktail. So I'm going to be sitting here drinking my shitty Red's Wicked Ale because that's all I could get at this time of night and finishing this recording. Let's have a sip. Mmm. Refreshing. Now, where were we? Okay, so the girls were catfighting. Now, Meanwhile, over in Harvey and Ruth's room, poor Harvey. Like, like I said, everybody here is horrible. Well, Harvey's horrible. He's the least horrible of them because he's just a boob. He's just a bumbling boob. And all he wants from his wife is a little bit of love. He's like, we're here. It's the mountains. There's snow. It's been a long time. And she's like, I'm, I have a headache. My feet hurt. I'm I my I have kidney stones. I have a sore throat. And she's like, all right, you know what? Fine. Let me just go downstairs and get a refill. And when she says refill, she means a whole other goddamn bottle of booze because she finished the one that she already had because alcoholism is hilarious. So Ruth goes downstairs to get another bottle of booze and starts screaming and screaming because there's all these kids in the living room. Harvey.
What are you yelling about? People. Little people. What the hell do you mean? What do you mean? What do I mean? I mean people. Little people. I forgot damn DTs. Actually, I got to back up a bit because I skipped something. In the midst of everything that's going on, the kids have found the house. But they don't go in right away. They're hiding in um, like a, a storage area that's below the house for a while. Mainly because they realize that they're being followed. Because it turns out the five of them are not the only survivors of the bus crash. Dun, dun, dun. No, the other survivor is the doctor who ran the place, so they know if this doctor catches up with them that they're going to go back to the home. And, of course, they're not having any of that. I think we're being followed. Didn't anybody check the bus to see if he was alive? Oh, don't let him get us. I can't go back there. Leave it to me. He'll never get us again. And they realize, oh... He must be following our footprints in the snow. So they just basically wait and this guy shows up and they kill his ass. Do you think he followed us? Anybody can follow footprints in the snow, dummy. Affirmative. I just checked the door. He's getting closer. Are you sure he won't take us back? We're never going back there. But not like a little bit. They kill his ass a lot because, you know, all of a sudden these little charming children are arming themselves with pitchforks and sledgehammers and ball-peen hammers and, like, pieces of lumber and chains and shit. And you're like, oh, man. And they wait and they wait and the guy comes in and they kill him in one of the longest, most drawn-out, awful murder scenes I've ever seen in my life and I don't mean awful like oh my god this is so disturbing no for some reason it's shot in black and white and is it is in extreme slow motion I timed it this murder scene goes on for over six minutes and it's so slow and so jerky that it's really kind of hard to tell what's going on you keep thinking oh now it's done Oh, now it's... Nope. Okay, now the... Nope. Is he... No, oh, God. Oh, for God's sake, would you just die, sir? Just die, just die, just die. But he finally dies. So they spend another day down there. There's more nonsense. Now we get the, the inner tubing montage, which I promised you earlier. I'm hoping that the recording that I'm trying to do to get audio clips from the movie is working because I've tried that about seven times now and I keep getting about 30 seconds worth of material and that's not what I need. So maybe we'll have audio clips for this section. Maybe we won't. I don't know. But we just got to press on. You know why? Because Mercury's in Gatorade. Whatever the fuck that means. Okay, so like I said, whoop, we go back to Ruth and went downstairs to refill her bottle. But then there's all these kids down there and she starts screaming and screaming and screaming and everybody comes running downstairs and she's standing on the stairs and they're all like, Ruth, what's the problem? And she's like, people! 
people. Like, what do you mean people? That she said little people. I'm like, I hope she starts singing people. People who need people are standing in the living room right now. And so the kids are there. Everyone's like, whoa, where did all these kids come from in the middle of the night? Then they say, oh, we were in a terrible accident and everybody died. And nobody tries to call a doctor or the police, which wouldn't have mattered because the kids are are, are very proactive. They've already cut the phone lines and are in the process of disabling the generator for this place. So these kids know what they're down for. But at no point did the adults say like, huh, maybe we should do something responsible. So now you got all these kids here and they're all kind of adapting to having these kids here. And the kids themselves are an interesting pair. One of them like I said, there's Leaf Garrett, and he is, he keep, he, I don't know, he's like a baby sociopath. Like he, when they, when he's talking, he forms a bar, a bond with Harvey Beckman. I don't know what his attraction to Harvey Beckman is, but he's, he comes into the room with Harvey Beckman. He's like, hello, I'm, I'm. Oh, hi. What's your name? David. David, huh? You're being redundant. Redundant? Well, that's a big word for such a little guy. Don't refer to me as a little guy. I'm a 12-year-old male. I'm sorry. I just meant... My friends and I were in an accident. I know. We're the only survivors. I bet your mother and father are going to be glad to hear that you're okay. It's quite frightening, crashing in the middle of nowhere. Because of my ingenuity, we survived. I see. We were on our way to Hollywood when it happened. Oh, so you're an actor. Among other things, the group and I were going to make a movie. I see. Well, that must be fascinating. Green's a lovely color. Don't you think it goes with my eyes? Well, uh, no, I guess so. Gotta go now, Mr. Uh... Beckman. Harvey Beckman. We will be friends, Harvey Beckman. Sure, by all means. And he tells them this elaborate story. like, oh, well, we were on our way to Hollywood. We're all actors, and we're going to make a movie. And Harvey Beckman believes him. But, of course, it's a lie. But that's David. David's a sociopath with an ego problem and might be the president someday. And then we have Brian, who's a little African-American kid. And he's fun because he, he thinks he's a soldier. So everything he talks is in, like, army talk and military speak. And he's the one who comes up with all kinds of crazy booby traps and making the plan for everything. He's got everything down. You the CEO? What? Yeah, he's the CEO. When's Chow? Chow! I suppose if you're starving, I can get Ralph to rustle you up some cornflakes. 30 minutes. <laughs> what the hell's that? Didn't you ever play soldier when you were a boy? No, I didn't have time. Bullshit, you're still playing it. Oh, that's very funny, smartass. Maybe you can find yourself a job as a comedian. And you got two girls. You got, I think, Mo. Mo's the little one. She seems really sweet and innocent. She's carrying around this little, like, stuffed fish all over the place. But, of course, she's not innocent. She's crazy. And then there's Susan, who's a teenager, who's really mopey and also really kind of interested in her lighter. And finally, we've got Hannah. Hannah is dressed like a nun, and Hannah is passing herself off as an adult. Uh, I never did dishes with a nun before. We're just like anyone else. Oh, no, you, you're special. Thank you. Say, if any bears are, or prowlers bother you, 
You, you just tell me, and I'll fix them. Do you have many prowlers? Hardly never in the winter. You see, we're too far from the roads. And at a certain point, I'm going, who is buying this gag that this child is a nun? But they do cover it. Someone finally asks her, hey, aren't you awfully young to be a nun? She says, actually, I'm a novice. And that seems to satisfy everybody. And if you want to go into some sociological implications of this movie, which I know you don't, but I'm going to go in there anyway, but I guess a lot of it is also just reflecting the fact that kids don't pay enough, I mean, adults don't pay enough attention to kids because the signs that there's something wrong with these kids are right there from the beginning, and yet nobody pays any attention. They find excuses for everything and ignoring the problem that's right in front of them that could be resolved by just actually talking to the children. If you talk to them for more than two minutes, you realize, oh, you're all crazy. But no, nobody ever does that. They just kind of assume these kids enter their lives, and yet at no point is anybody trying to get anybody out of there, because presumably snowbound, but the amount of snow keeps changing outside, and it's never enough to keep you snowbound-bound. I think, okay, well, maybe it has something to do with... All right, it's like the state parks and maybe the roads don't get plowed, but nobody ever says that. Like, we can't get out because there's snow. But these kids, from the moment they set foot in this house, and I'm talking about downstairs too, they are planning on taking over. Like, they try, like, for a while, thinking, well, they're kind of being okay. Maybe there's a way to get around these kids by being nice to them. But there's not. From the moment they set foot in the place, they've already cut the phone lines. Like I said, they're tampering with the generators. And by the end of the first night, the cars have been disabled. And all of the knives have been dis- have been, the knives have been disappeared. The knives have been stolen, and somebody took Papa Doc's guns, all of them. So even though they're trying to assimilate, these kids know at some point that they have a backup plan. That we know we're going to have to kill everybody here, and that's eventually what starts to happen. They've set all kinds of booby traps everywhere, and you could try to get to know these kids, and actually sometimes that makes it worse. The kills after that first one, which is just really horrible, the one of this doctor that goes on for six minutes, they're moderately amusing. I really enjoy this whole psychological chess match, an actually actual chess match that goes on between David Leif Garrett and uh, Harvey Beckman, Boss Hogg, or, or Sorrel Bar- Burke, whatever his name is. I knew you were going to do that. Too bad. I'm afraid I'll have to take your queen. Check. And mate. Nice try, David. If you're a good boy, I might give you another crack at it. Oh. I'll set the board up. Good night, Harvey Beckman. They are a lot of fun. I've probably play if I've been able to get some goddamn dialogue clips, they'll be playing them right now. And you think David seems to have some kind of respect for Harvey in some weird kind of way until he overhears Harvey talking smack about him. And then he knows that all this shit has to end. But what's also interesting here is that there is a scene where you're hearing Harvey talking about David through the wall and you're seeing what looks like the teenage girl, uh, Susan, sitting in the mirror putting on one of the adult women's makeup. But then right at the end of the scene, spoiler, sorry, but the movie's over 40 years old. when When that person in the mirror hears somebody talking shit about David, they rip off their wig and they're like, well, that's it for you, Harvey Beckman, and it's 
David in full-on drag and actually looking fucking fabulous, by the way. So David's got all kinds of levels. And the problem with these kids, with the characters of these kids, is that they never really go into their stories at all. You can kind of figure them out a bit on their own, on your own, from the little bits that you're given, aside from the fact that they're just crazy. I mean, how did it happen that all these kids get to find it working together? Because, you know, normally in this kind of a situation, you know, people of mental illness don't band together like this, one would think. But, you know, how did this happen that they're this team and that they're this fucking organized to wipe out an entire house full of people? Spoiler, with almost no effort. But they do. And unfortunately, Harvey Beckman is the first one to fall. And just as a piece of advice to the reincarnation of Harvey Beckman, whenever you come back to planet, if you're splitting logs with a possibly psychotic child, never, ever, ever give him the hatchet and never, ever, ever turn your back on him. Oh, come on. You're swinging it like an old lady. Put a little oomph into it. Oh, no. Well, if you can't do any better than this, I'll have to get Mo to help. Oh, no, no. No, 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 no. Guess we'll have to call in the second team before you collapse. Hey, you did it, huh? Okay, here. Let me move it around so you get the other end. Actually, they've already killed the um, Ralph... The janitor with this contraption with the with the generator that somehow was rigged up to some you know booby trap noose and all of a sudden whoa he's swinging and even then the adults were like wow that's really sad that Ralph killed himself like that only the only person who's cluing into this is Julie. Hey, uh, did you notice anything strange about those kids? Mm-hmm. But they're kids. I mean, I just, I can't put my finger on it, but they don't act like normal. Honey, kids today are smoking pot at 10. Mm-hmm. 10. And a bottle at 12. So how can we expect him to be normal like us? <laughs> oh, you're right, but you know, there's, there's definitely something wrong. What? Well, did you notice how hung up Susan is with fire? Mm-hmm. And the way Sister Hannah just sits there and mm-hmm. stares at you with those cold eyes. And a white face. <laughs> oh, and, you know, that watch that Soldier Kid has? I mean, that's an expensive man's watch. Where do you suppose he got it? Stolen. Oh, come on. And remember at dinner, when Sister Hannah looked at you and said, My, what healthy hair you have. <laughs> Nuns do not talk like that. <laughs> Even novices. You know, I wonder if there really was a, a, a crash. You know, maybe those kids are lying. They certainly don't seem to be too anxious to get home, do they? But after that scene where she's, you know, talking to him over a bottle of Papa Doc's stolen expensive wine, and also after they find the hatcheted body of Harvey Beckman, she's finally able to convince her boyfriend, Rick, that something is wrong. Kind of hot Rick, kind of not Rick. And he's trying to get people, you know, hey, we gotta do something about these kids. I think it might be the kids. 
and nobody's paying any attention. The only person who's paying any attention to Rick is lovely because she wants to bone him. And so we get some male nudity for a while, which because he's got a perfectly good body, he's got a perfectly attractive face, but his hair is just so stupid. But you do get side peen for a split second. You get his butt and you get some side peen. And I don't know if I talked about this already or not because, like I said, this is the fourth goddamn recording of this segment. Happy holidays. Jolly holidays. But if not, you know, sometimes side peen is worth repeating. And it didn't not help situations that the actor who played Rick kind of looked like this guy I worked with back in 1992 or somewhere doing a show who I had a huge crush with and then this incredibly torrid, hot affair that lasted for like three months. Wow. But yeah, but anyway, that didn't help. So it was bringing back all kinds of sexy memories for the holidays. But that's neither here nor there because they know all this stuff that's going on with the adults doesn't matter because they're just meat. They're just meat, you know. And after this, you know, once people start figuring out and hey all the guns are gone hey all the knives are gone hey the cars don't work something's wrong the kids wage an all-out assault they take out papa Jupe with this crazy booby trap contraption that i cannot describe i'm gonna kill you little bastards every one of you i'm gonna get every one of But the most famous kill of this movie involves Papa Doc's tank of piranhas that you have. You know, that people just have at their house. And you know, it's like Chekhov's piranhas. If somebody introduces a tank full of piranhas in Act 1, someone is going to have them up in their vagina by Act 3. And that's exactly what happens. Ooh, they have teeth. What are they? They're piranha. They can strip the skin off a man's bones in 20 seconds. Oh, that's a great bedtime. Sorry. What do you feed them? Goldfish. They'll eat a couple of dozen a day. You mean you feed those little babies to those big, ugly things? That's right. Here, you want to feed them? It's all right, honey. It's all right. You wouldn't do that, would you? And Smoochie's freaking out on the couch. Smoochie, what you doing? She's attacking my notes for Silent Night, Deadly Night for the Patreon people. So sorry, guys. I might have to rewatch that movie. Girl, what are you doing? Cats, man. What was I saying? And, and, you know, Rick has got the plan. He's like, look, we all just need to stay together in this room until morning because it's too dark outside and it's the woods and we'll get lost and they'll be able to follow us more easily with the, I don't know, whatever, whatever. But it's a good idea. Let's all stay together and arm ourselves with blunt objects. But, of course, Lovely's like, well, I'm not doing that. I'm going to go take a bubble bath like one does when someone's in a life and death situation. And so while she's in the bubble bath... Sister Hannah, right? Sister Hannah and little Sue with their little baby fish. Now I guess it makes sense. With their baby fish. Come in and Maggie's holding her under the water and drowning her. And her boobs are flapping around. You're almost seeing her cooter. But then... In walks little baby Mo. Baby Mo. That's what her name. Her name was Mo. Comes in. With a 
big bowl with the piranha fish in it and pours it into the bathtub. children murdering a naked woman in a bathtub with fish in her cooter with flesh-eating fish in her rahuhu that's not okay that's not okay and there's another scene again with lovely's dead body where you, they you see you see her the kids throwing her dead naked body out the window and then dragging it through the snow i'm like these are children that's not okay unless maybe they weren't really children they were just midgets with bad habits During the course of this, Rosario, I'm sorry, Ruth, (laughs) has been forming a kind of bond with Susan, the teenage one. You know, just taking her under her wing and just being really nice to her and she lets her sleep in their bed, much to Harvey's chagrin, because again he thought, well, I thought tonight we were going to be able to have some nice romantic time. She's like, no. What is she doing here? She's trying to sleep. Look, I thought you don't get away that much. And I thought that being alone, snow, the mountains. Harvey, I have a headache, a toothache, a backache, and I'm expecting the gout. Would an aspirin help? Now, which you really, in retrospect, you should have had the remaining time because you go because now you're both dead, okay? But even being nice to Susan doesn't help. It backfires because get whatever Susan's problem is gets projected onto poor Ruth. And she's just saying, you never loved me. You never wanted to have me. So clearly there's no a mommy issue going on. And they set Rosario on fire. Susan, please, I don't understand. She wants to get us another court martial. Lock us up again for life. We ain't going back. You want to hurt me. You didn't love me. Murderer. Murderer. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. One round of WP. Fire! 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 But no bueno. No bueno. Oh my goodness. And there's a whole final battle. And the thing is, it's grim from here on out because, as I've already spoiled, nobody's getting out of here. But what I noted this time was how passionately and how violently I wanted one of those kids to get in the chops. I wanted somebody to hurt at least one of those kids really badly or start killing some of them. I'm like, you bash those little fucking babies' brains out right now. What a horrible thing to think. But granted, in this situation, no, it's not. But still, still, what a horrible thing to think. And the fact that it wasn't happening at all was getting me really angry. But it just goes to show that these kids 
came had, had a master plan. They stuck to it with military precision. Thank you, Brian. And they won the day. They got to keep the castle. And the final image that disturbed me was just the last shot of the kids like playing dress up dollies with all of the corpses. And again, it's predictable, but the way it's shot is so non-exploitive that I found it disturbing. It's shot from a fairly long distance, but you can see, all right, that's Ruth's corpse there, and they got her in a little dress, but she's been burnt to a crisp, but they're still playing with her like she's a toy. And, oh, she's still kind of nude. You can see the wounds and the fish in her vagina, but she's got a little dress on and happy face on. It's disturbing, hence the alternate title, People Toys. Then the thing that's great about the kids is that even when they're plotting, even when they're planning, they just sound like any group of kids that are on like any sitcom from this era. There's nothing particularly sinister about their doing. They're just kids having fun. And the fact that they're not outwardly angry or outwardly evil 99% of the time makes it that much more frightening when all of a sudden they switch from these cute little slightly kooky sitcom kids into murderous bastards there's something to be said about this whole way they interact and this is me possibly as being drunk and being late at night on a Friday but this is pulling in an LGBT thing these kids have been forced to make their own family as dysfunctional as it is and that's what so many people in the LGBT fam- uh, community have to do. You know, when you're turned out by your family or not accepted by your family, you make your own family for whatever it's worth, and you will fight tooth and nail life and death for this second family of yours, possibly even more than the first ones. And that's kind of what I saw here, too. And I probably won't include this because I'm getting overly soppy and sentimental. And the problem is with this end sequence is that when it's all over and the kids have decided we're bored here, we're moving on to a new place. So you know that this cycle of murder is going to continue because nobody's going to suspect these little kids. Especially since they have this extremely well-functioning family going on, much better than the families that they're invading. So much so that at the end of the movie, it doesn't say the end. They have the balls to say the beginning. Which leads me to believe that they were at least trying to make a sequel. And the fact that they didn't, that's totally okay too. The fact that maybe somewhere out there that these kids are all grown up now and still functioning in this weird little murderous family kind of gives me a happy. As much as I hated them, as much as I wanted them to fucking suffer. They've got something pretty special. And (laughs) that cannot be denied. And okay, I can't believe I'm advocating murderous children right now, but you know what? It's Friday night. It's after midnight. Mercury's in Gatorade. And Smoochie is tearing the goddamn apartment apart. So what do you expect me to do? I don't know. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop recording and go to bed. That's what I'm going to do. But before I do, let's wrap this shit up. Do I think this is a good movie?
No. No. I think it's an interesting look at the Grindhouse era. It's kind of everything that you would want a Grindhouse movie. All rolled into one. Like, all like the most sleazy, awful things just mixed into thing, And then you put kids in on top of it, which makes it even sleazier. But I did leave out my favorite part. In the final battle, Rick and Julie are holed up in a bedroom somewhere and they're asleep and they don't realize that David has put a ladder up to one of the windows that has climbed up. And, well, he breaks the window and does something horrible to Julie and Julie is dead. I'm not going to tell you what because it's pretty gross. But Rick, of course, freaks out. He's like, ah, I'm kind of attractive, but my hair's on backwards. Ah, and like throws shit at David and the window breaks the rest of the way and David falls. And when David falls, he gets up and his face is cut and he looks up at the window and he screams, My face! Look what you did to my beautiful face! My face! Look what you did to my beautiful face! Which is a line that has stuck with me since the first time I saw it, because that is an incredibly gay thing to say in the middle of an action climax. So what's good about Devil's Times 5 is that the cast is actually quite good. Everybody here knows what they're in for, but they're also doing a very good job, particularly Mr. Harvey Beckman, Sorrel Brooks, and Leif Garrett is great. Even though I didn't like him, anything else he's ever done, I do love to hate him. In this, he's a despicable little child, but also quite frightening. He's the most frightening of any of them. And everybody's here to do a good job. The special effects are fine for the time. Everyone is committed to the sleaze. Everyone is committed to the ridiculousness of it. And the location itself is very picturesque, and that that works too. It's this beautiful setting where this horrible thing is happening. I liked all of that. What I didn't like was that annoying pipe music score. That was the kid's theme. It just was like chalk. Or nails in a chalkboard for me, rather. And their propensity in violent scenes to really want to go to slow motion and drag them out longer than they needed to be. And the way the slow motion ran, it made it hard to follow what was going on. And there is no excuse for six minutes of slow Motion was it seven minutes? I don't remember. I don't have my notes anymore. Whatever it was, that whatever. And if it's more than thirty seconds, you've got no excuse for that much slow motion. No, no. Move the story along, you goddamn movie patters. Take your pets somewhere else. If anything, I want to see in slow motion. I wanted to see that piranha in that woman's cooter in slow motion. No, I really didn't. That was a horrible thing to say. That was a horrible thing to say. The only thing that and the kids are great because they're all awful. The only thing I wanted more of Sister Hannah. She's very prominent in the early segments of the movie, but then she gets really quiet for the rest of it. She's doing a lot. You know, she's leading the charge a lot and being really creepy, but she's not as integral to the story anymore. Although I thought it was nice that the novice who was clad in a white habit for the first half has switched to a red one for the final half. It was a nice touch. Devil Times 5. I kind of liked it. It is available for streaming on YouTube, and hey, why not, right? If you want to see kids kill people for Christmas, you do that. 
That's your right. I think, you know, hey, whatever. I don't judge you. I don't judge you. I love you. I judge you sometimes. But, you know, not much. You know, shut up. Shut up. You know, I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to drink my drink. I'm going to hang out with Smoochie because I think I finished this segment. And let's just hope that it saves so that I don't have to record it a fifth time because I might pass out. And Smoochie might put a piranha in my cooter. Oh, no. Nom, nom, indeed. Nom, nom. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm hoping you're having a great time. Yeah. Oh, I'm hoping mm-hmm. I did. that you are with some friends or loved ones. Yeah, we well, already know the story. Uh, just a quick little, I guess, review I wanted to give you. Um, yes. I accidentally got a subscription to Shudder. Oh. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. Probably yes. Have. It, for those who don't know what it is, it's Netflix for just horror movies. Mm-hmm. So, so far I've been finding a lot of great films on there. Um, but one in particular film I wanted to mention to you, I don't know if you've seen it or not yet, is Found Footage 3D. Ah. I'm not a big fan of Found Footage films anymore because they are overdone, overdone and ah. actually done very crappily. The whole stream safety cam just annoys the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. You and me both, baby. So, um, I ended up watching this one, and I'd have to say I was actually very surprised how much I liked it. Probably because of just the basis of what the film is about. It's what I consider a serious parody film. Uh-huh. About a group of guys who decide to do a found footage horror movie, but one guy has the ingenious idea and what you can't see is my quotation marks I felt them of doing a found footage movie in 3D oh oh and most of the people in this film tend to have the right idea about how the guy who is behind this is basically just an idiot okay and it goes on and usual horror movie found footage stuff happens but I thought it was very well done. I was very surprised. Okay. Um, so it's definitely one that I would recommend to people to see. So if you get a chance, check it out. I mean, you may like it. You may hate it. You may put me up against your firing wall and blow my <laughs> brains out. Or shoot me, whichever one you prefer to do. Oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. All right, Patrick, I will talk to you later. And like I said, I hope you have a great day today. And that's it. <laughs> it sounded like there was more, but there was no more. Andy, 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 my sweet, sexy pickle. Thank you for calling. And this is when I kick myself that I don't listen to these messages before I listen to them for the show. Because this message has been sitting in my box for almost a month. And you know how I don't like things to just stay in my box. I like things to go into my box and then come out of my box and then go back into my box and out of my box. But that's neither here nor there. And also, not the point right now. I really got to get back in the habit of saying that. But that's not the point right now. 
I would be thrilled to take your Shutter descri- uh, uh, subscription if you still have it. I had Shutter for a long time and I loved it. And here's the thing: I had it through Amazon, and I was contacted by listener Steve, who volunteered to put himself up against the wall for a movie called Solo. And he said it was on Shutter. And I looked and said it's not on there. And he was like, yes, it is. And we went back and forth and back and forth. And we fought. And then we made out. And then we made up. And then we made out some more. And everything was okay. But then we discovered, well, I discovered that the selection that they have on the Amazon version is not the same selection that they have on the full version. Apparently, for a dollar more, you get the whole version if you don't go through Amazon. Much to my surprise and chagrin. So I let my subscription expire, meaning to rejoin. And I keep forgetting. And maybe on a, you know, philosophical, you know, universal kind of a way, maybe deep down inside I knew that you had a subscription for me and it was you that was going to refill that void. And it was you who was going to be responsible for finally getting Steve up against the wall for recommending this movie. He's been waiting a really long time. And you know what? If I get that subscription from you, actually, if I even if I don't get the subscription from you and I finally sign up again, I might have to put you both up against the wall together. Yeah, I haven't done that before. I haven't done a double execution. Oh, oh, the firing squad just looked at me like, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Everything. Oh, my gosh. The, the guns are twitching right now. Wait a minute. That one guy's gun got all drippy at the tip. That's weird. How did that happen? That was really uncalled for. I'm sorry, Andy. That was base. That was such a base remark to say to such a refined gentleman as yourself. But thank you for the suggestion. I've heard good things about found footage. Footage? Footage? (laughs) Found footage. Elmer footage 3D. I heard great things about that. And I have been meaning to uh, renew that subscription because I loved Shudder. I was very, very happy with everything that was going on on Shudder. The selection was great. And, and, and yes, so thank you for reminding me. And if you you still have that subscription and you still want to share, I'd be happy to take it. I'll take it all, baby, and I'll give the – give the rewards right back to you. That's just – I got – this is – why do you keep dragging me into the gutter, Andy? What the hell? You make me randy, Andy. <laughs> okay, let's leave that for now. Thank you for calling in, Andy. And I love you, my, my little sweet sexy pickle. And I will talk to you soon. Well, that is it for the voicemail this time. I do have some email and things that I want to get to. And the first one is from listener Joe from Cincy, who we have not heard from in a very long time. Welcome back. Your dreams will your ticket out. I'm not singing the Welcome Back Cotter to you anymore, Joe, because we have a long email to get through. And the name of the email is... I wish I had listened to your review before I saw Murder on the Orient Express. And some of you might be sitting there going, Patrick, you didn't talk about Murder on the Orient Express. Yes, I did. I did on the Patreon feed, which you would have been entitled to if you were a patron. But we'll get into that later because we got to talk to Joe right now. And Joe said, Patrick, 
Oh my god, it is so rare that I can say that a movie actually makes me mad. So many things piss me off about this movie. If you want me to go into it, I can do it all day later, but it has been bothering me all day since I've seen it. One thing that I did want to get your opinion on was towards the end of the movie when Poirot has all of the 12 suspects sitting at the long table in front of the tunnel. Were they trying to make some symbolism with the painting of The Last Supper? I don't know why I thought about that instantly. Just looking at Michelle Pfeiffer sitting in the middle and looking at the V-shaped Holy Grail symbolism between her body and the one on the right, it's just been bothering me all day. Anyway, your thoughts and interpretations would be very enlightening. Thanks again for everything you do. Love, Joe from Sensi. Joe from Sensi, you're absolutely right. I caught the exact same thing, and... Since Kenneth Branagh directed it, the one thing Kenneth Branagh is is pretentious, and it is exactly like him to do something like that because why, if you've got 12 suspects at the table, who does that make him? Jesus. Ego maniac. I caught that too, and I rolled my eyes all the way around my head that they hurt. I strained my eyes. I got stuck in side eye for three days afterward, and everybody was like, oh, get that bitch. I'm like, but you know what? It worked. It worked. Everybody was mad at me, and I kept walking into lampposts, but hey, it was worth it for the constant shade throwing that I was giving. But anyway, you're absolutely right, Joe, and, and, and you didn't listen. Why don't people listen? Although, to be fair, I did say you won't hate yourself for seeing the movie. It's not good, but it's not awful. But apparently you hate yourself or at least hate – you hate yourself for not listening to me better. Okay, and that's cool and that's totally fine. But you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both and there you have Murder on the Orient Express. Okay, okay. Thank you, Joe. It's been so long since we heard from you on the show. Yay, I love Joe. Joe's one of the Joe's one of the originals. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, there are some other bits of correspondence that I do want to talk to. They're a bit uh talk about. They're a little bit more serious, and I won't be using anybody's names, but I do want to at least address them. Now, this first one came to me on Facebook Messenger all the way back in October towards the very end of the Podathon and it just says, Patrick, I wanted to tell you that though I went from being a not often homeless but kind of transient youth to a sex worker as an adult and also identifying as non-binary, you have, motiv- you have motivated me to get the fuck off my ass. The guilt I'm experiencing at ex- – try that again. The guilt I'm experiencing at not being able to help out with the fundraiser – is genuinely inspiring me to just be better. Thank you so much for all that you can do. And this came at a time when you know when I hit that low point around Devil's Candy when I got really depressed and really upset and thinking that we weren't going to make it and I thought I was wasting my time and this message came in and just lit up my day and my heart and You don't have to be embarrassed if you were unable to donate. That's okay. 
you got something better out of it. And I hope you did get off your ass. And I hope you did do something. You didn't have to change your life. But if you just take a step towards being the person that you want to be, that is a huge thing. And if this silly little show helped, fantastic. I am, I am, I can't think of the right word. I'm not bursting with pride. That's not the right word. I'm just delighted that I motivated you in some way. And there is no shame in anything that you mentioned. There is no shame in being homeless. I was almost homeless for a while and there's no shame in being a sex worker because guess what? I did that for a really brief time too. Yep, that was a big revelation right here on the show. And you know what? I'm not ashamed of it. I had to do what I had to do to survive. And that's what you're doing or we're doing. I I forget if it's in the past or in the present, but it doesn't matter. You're making it to the final reel whatever way that you can. And if you can dig deep and, and find the inspiration to like pull things the way – make your life the way you want it to be, you do that. And you take your time and you make your mistakes and you learn from them and you come out the better person. Even though I have to tell you, dear writer – of this message you're pretty fucking fabulous right now and the last message came on twitter and it's from another person who will remain anonymous and they say hey patrick i just listened to your latest podcast where you bravely disclosed something very personal about your recovery I just wanted to tell you I applaud your honesty and support you. I'm in recovery too, and I just want you to know that you're not alone and that you are helping so many people by showing it's possible to relapse and admit it and still survive. Just another reason to love your podcast. Oh, thank you. Um, I always, I used to hesitate about bringing up these personal not-so-attractive details about my life. But as I've gotten older, I've learned that shame is just toxic and shame will make things worse. And one of the things that I learned fairly early on with recovery is that relapse is part of it. And the worst thing you can do when you relapse is to beat yourself up mercilessly over it and be ashamed about doing that because you're more likely to relapse again as a result of that shame. So if you just say, I admit it, it happened, pick yourself up, start over. That's what that whole one day at a time thing is about. Okay, I fucked up yesterday, but today is a new day. And I have had a lot of people reach out about uh, being in recovery and thank you all for sharing with me and I wish you all the best and 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 you just, like I said keep on keeping on and you have nothing to be ashamed about especially not with me and especially not here but especially not for me I ain't gonna judge you for nothing no sir no we're all just trying to be the best sparkliest sparkliest purpliest butterflies that we can be. 
So as long as you're working towards that goal a little bit every day, you're cool with me. And the other lesson to learn is that progress is important, not perfection. Okay, a little fuck up every now and then is just part of the deal. Okay, that's going to wrap up the listener feedback for now. Things got a little heavy there, but you know what? These things are important. It's important to talk about these things because life is horrible enough as it is. We don't have to be horrible to ourselves on top of it. Okay, so if you want to be like Andy and Joe from Cincy and my anonymous correspondees, Please pick up your phone and give me a call at 917-720-2047. Or you can write me at crew at screamqueens.com. And, of course, that's Queens with a Z. You can find me on Facebook by doing a search on Scream Queens, where horror gets gay. I'm on Twitter at Scream Queens. You can send me cool photos of your holiday hoo-ha. Well, not your hoo-ha, but like your your hootenannies, your holiday hootenannies. Yeah, if you want to send me a picture of your holiday hoo-ha, that's fine too. But you can do that on Instagram, at Scream Queens Podcast. And Alexis is there hanging out, and I'm hanging out there too. And and we want we want well, you know what we want to see we want we want we want to see your hootenannies and your hoo-has. Okay, but we won't post your hoo-has to Instagram because that's just for private. Okay. Whew. And if you cannot get enough of Scream Queens, if you want more stuff coming at you from me, then you should go become a patron of the show. Become a subscriber. You can help the show out in a brand new way. We're making updates to the show all the time. Stuff that's behind the scenes. Stuff that has to do with sound and new equipment and lots of new things have happened in the past few months and will be implemented in the next few months. And that is all because of the Patreon subscribers. And I thank you all for that. And if you want to join in that, if you want to get bonus episodes every month, then you head over to www.patreon.com slash screamqueens. Pick a subscription level and join the party over there. And in the new year, the party is going to be changing. It's already changing a bit. We're going to have all new perks, which are going to be working out over the next few weeks. We're going to have all new subscription levels. Those of you who already subscribed, don't you worry. You're not going to have anything taken away from you, and you're going to be paying exactly what you're paying. But there's all kinds of new things that are going to be happening on top of that. But that's that'll be revealed soon enough. But the big change that's happened right now is that two segments of the regular Scream Queens podcasts are moving. Yeah. Yeah. Since we're on this two-show schedule a month and... One is always with guests. I don't get to do those segments that I enjoy doing so much, those little special segments. I don't get to do them as much because there's just no time anymore. I know I want to hang out with you on the shorter episode. And then when the guests are on, you know, there's no time to add this additional stuff. So from now on, for the most part, segments like the crapshoot, like the Nightmare Closet and like Why the Fuck Isn't This on DVD are now going to be Patreon exclusive. Yeah. So if you enjoyed those, think about getting a subscription. It's the perfect Christmas gift for all, not just for you, but for me and also the whole podcast listening community here because you'll be making the show even better than it already is. 
Wait, that came out more snotty than it. You know what? Fine. I, I'm going to be my purpliest, sparkliest butterfly, and I'm going to say the show is fucking awesome, and you can help make it more awesome. So, next episode, I am thrilled to welcome back two of my favorite homosexuals, listener Trey Dean and everyone's favorite Freddy cat, Doug Shapiro, because it is time for the highly inappropriate holiday special. Yeah! And if you weren't around last year, this is when we cover a movie that not only has nothing to do with the holiday season, but also has nothing to do with the podcast or the horror movies in general. It's a little holiday from horror. Okay? But... We actually, Trey chose the movie, and it's a movie called The Last of Sheila. I think it's from 1975. It's a murder mystery written by Broadway composer Stephen Sondheim and I think directed by Anthony Perkins from Psycho. So it's got your horror connections there, and I've watched it, and it's a hoot. And keep your eyes out because in the next week or so, we're going to be having a screening because I know – When Doug and I and Trey are talking about it, when we're having our little triumvirate of sexiness and awesomeness, that we're probably going to wind up spoiling it. We'll try not to, but probably we'll wind up spoiling it. And I want you to be able to enjoy the mystery on your own. So please keep an eye out for one of those afternoon screenings that I do. Normally, I post them on the Facebook page only and on Twitter and on Instagram. But I will try to get it up on the webpage as well. Did I just say get it up on the webpage? I will not be getting it up on the webpage. Not this webpage anyway. That will be for the Patreon subscribers. And that's going to be a big subscription package. Did I say big package? Yes, I did. Oh, my God. Patrick, just end the show. I think I will. So until next time, my beautiful, beautiful, beautiful screamers continue to make the world a creepier place, especially at the holiday season. It's the best time to scare the crap out of people because nobody's expecting it. And as always, never, ever, ever forget the Scream Queen's golden rule. Fight or flight, survive the night, make it through the final reel, you purple, sparkly, butterfly, motherfucker, gorgeous beast that you are. Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com, bitches! <laughs>